and the window started shaking again and my heart started beating and the palpitation and then it got harder and harder and this time it became harder i literally thought my heart is going to explode Hi everyone, it's Rod, the channel creator. I just want to let you know that today's episode contains a description of a sexual assault. Now we don't go into very much detail at all, but if that kind of thing makes you feel uncomfortable, then you might just want to skip all of minute 36 of this interview. And with that said, I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. My guest today is Anna Christina, who had a near-death experience around 14 years ago, and she'll be sharing with us the details of that today. Anna, welcome, and thank you so much for coming on the show. Hi, Rod. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing your story because it's way different. I've had a lot of near-death experiences on the channel, but yours is way different than any other that I've had. So I'm not going to give anything away. Would you give us a little bit of background on your life up to the day of your NDE, and then we can go from there? Okay. So I'm born in Alexandria, Egypt. And we migrated with my family at the age of seven. I was born to a Coptic Christian family. And we went to Canada because my younger brother, Steve, was born with special needs. So we wanted to get him better medical care in Canada. At the age of about 10, my father decided to bring us back to Egypt for a few years so we can learn our culture and not forget it. When I was in school by the age of like 13, 14, I was having trouble with the Arabic language. So my father hired Sam, a tutor that helped me in geography and history, which were taught in Arabic. And, and that was really helpful. It didn't take long. Actually, I was only 14 and we fell in love. And then right after, my father sent us back to Canada to continue life in Canada. So I stayed connected with Sam. We wrote letters. And every time I went to Egypt, we would meet up behind my parents' back. In Egypt, you're not allowed to date <laughs> until you're married. <laughs> so it's very conservative family. And then by the age of 20, we wanted to get married. So Sam asked for my hand from my dad. Dad really liked Sam, but Dad said over my dead body, and he was adamant about it because Sam was Muslim, and as I said, I was Coptic Christian, and we don't mix in Egypt. That's just a no-no. So we tried, and I thought by living in Canada, Dad would agree and no one would know us and all that stuff. And he said no. So I learned that I had to go back and just move on and forget about Sam, which I did. About five years later, I was in California and I met Paul. And Paul became my husband. And it didn't take long after the honeymoon to find out that Paul was a typical narcissist. Back then, narcissist was not a part of my vocabulary. We didn't have internet, didn't know what was going on, did not know that it's a character disorder and it doesn't, you don't change. But I struggled with Paul for about 13 years where he was selfish beyond, you can find 
the definition of a narcissist. And I think in Wikipedia, and I keep saying you'll find his name there in the beginning. That's how bad he was. But it was difficult to try to leave Paul. First, I had two children. I had Colleen and I had Andrew, which was the best thing that happened in the marriage. But Paul threatened to to kill me if I left him. He once threatened that if I hired a divorce lawyer, he would hire a sniper. Another time he threatened to slit my throat and write on the wall what a whore I was so the kids would grow up knowing what their mom is. So he was that kind of obsessed with me. But after 13 years, I was lucky to find a good lawyer, got me a restraining order and Paul was removed from the house. And I just wanted to continue just taking care of my children. And then I received a call out of nowhere from Sam, the guy I left. It was about 25 years. We hadn't connected and he found me. And at that time, I had just become a born again Christian. So I never thought, I didn't think about communicating, like seeing him again, except over the phone. And then until six months later, I went to Egypt and we met up. And I thought my heart was guarded and I would never disappoint Jesus by falling in love with a Muslim again, which I did. And at that time, I couldn't resist. It was hard after so many years living with a very cold individual. Sam was a very, I found him to be very kind and a listener and everything I was looking for in a man. I was astonished. I didn't remember that's how he was when I was younger, but that's what he was. And we, it didn't take long and we got married. We did get married in a church, but nonetheless, he was a Muslim. He wasn't a practicing Muslim. We would go to Calvary Church together. He would read me the Bible when I'm stressed. So it wasn't like I became a Muslim. I just continued living in close relationship with Christ. And Sam came along with it. I was the breadwinner. Sam couldn't get a job, a decent job in Canada, in the States due to his language barrier. So I worked as an executive, as a chief financial officer, and Sam took care of the house and everything else. Over time, there became flags and signs that I saw that something was off and something was wrong and I needed to get out of the marriage. It was about nine years, and I don't want to go into that because there's just so much that happened. But I was able to talk with Sam and convince him that we need a divorce and we would do an amicable divorce. After the ugly divorce with Paul, I didn't want to go through another ugly divorce. So Sam agreed. We filed a divorce, but he asked me to stay in the house for three weeks until he finds something, some other place to go to. So that's the background before my ND. <laughs> I know it's a lot. It's a, it's a lot of years, isn't it? So, yeah. all right, well, let's go from the day of the NDE and what happened then. Okay, so... It didn't take long after we filed that amicable divorce. 
about a few days and I started waking up feeling aches and pain all over my body. The worst part was the headache. The headaches was so bad that I couldn't blink. That's how bad it was. The blinking was really painful. I just sat on the couch trying not to move my head. And then finally, Sam agreed to take me to urgent care to see what's going on. At urgent care, they didn't do much, no blood tests, nothing. They assumed I'm coming down with the flu and they told me to go home and just rest. They gave me painkillers and sent me away. The painkillers helped the aching and I was able to go to work and function again to a certain degree with the pain medicine. It was year end. And as a CFO, there was just so much to do at the office. So on January 8th, 2009, I was driving to the office early in the morning and I saw a vision. Now, I don't see visions. I've never seen a vision in my whole life. And here I am driving on the five freeway going north And this vision showed my family members and there was death. Somebody had died. And right away, I assumed it was Steve, my younger brother, who we were always told he's not going to live too long, past 35 years. So because a couple of years before that, I had a bad experience losing my mom and not having, not taking the time to go see her. I had a project at the office and I had to finish a computer conversion. And by the time I finished and was going to see her, she had fallen into a coma and passed. That was the biggest regret of my life. So this time I felt God was warning me and he's just, so that I don't go through what I had just gone through. And he's giving me a warning that Stephen is, that Steve is sick. So I went to the office. I told them that I need to go and travel right away, that my brother is ill. And I called Sam and I told him that I was going to leave. That was a Friday and I was going to leave Saturday or Sunday. He said, okay, he'll be there in the house till I come back. He asked that I would leave Colleen at the house. I said, no, Colleen will go back to her dad. And then I called the office staff, everybody, and I tried to delegate and work out things because I knew I was leaving at a very bad time. And in the middle of my meeting with all of them, I could feel my head, the pain again in my head. And I remember just sitting down, sitting on my desk and then holding my head just so that it doesn't explode. And as I did that and I closed my eyes, I felt something. I felt somebody telling me, leave everything, stop thinking and go. I just felt that message. I don't know how I felt it. I wasn't hearing a voice. I just got that message. And right away, immediately, I dropped everything. 
I told my staff that I have to go now and most likely I'll come back tomorrow, Saturday, and I'll leave Sunday. And I left the office right away, drove home. And as I'm walking now from the parking lot, going up to our flat, now I hear this voice and it's revealed to me and this time there's a voice talking to me and immediately I recognize it's the Holy Spirit. It wasn't like what I felt in the office. It was a clear voice as I'm speaking to you right now. And I don't know how I recognized it was the Holy Spirit. He didn't say I am the Holy. He didn't say that. And I didn't relate to the Holy Spirit. I didn't understand the Holy Spirit before then. I was more connected to Jesus. I knew about God the Father, but never got the Holy Spirit. So I basically ignored the Holy Spirit in my life. So it was strange that he started talking to me and I recognized him, I recognized him right away. And he did this motion to keep my mouth shut. Like I was not supposed to reveal what he's saying and the conversation we're having. And I kept on going, went upstairs. Sam answered the door and his first question was, are you leaving tomorrow or the day after? And I looked at him and I said, I can't think right now. I will let you know tomorrow. I need to rest today and I'll let you know tomorrow. And he said, okay, I'm gonna prepare dinner, just go change. And Colleen came from her bedroom and said, hi mom, how are you doing? And I just kissed her, hugged her. And she ran back into her room. She was a teenager at that time. They spent all their time in their room. And I changed and I came out to the living area. We had, there's the kitchen and then the living area is there. And I stood at the kitchen where there's a counter and behind me is a fridge. And Sam had left a plate for me where he made me my favorite dinner, which was rice. And it's an Egyptian dish. It's green bean casserole with pieces of filet mignon. And I really love that meal. And I looked at it, I had no appetite to eat something with so much sauce. It's with the tomato sauce. So I removed the beans and I was left with the rice on the plate. And I'm looking at the rice and I'm contemplating now, how am I gonna even eat that? I'm without an appetite and it just looks so dry. And the Holy Spirit said out of nowhere, he goes, child, turn around, open the fridge and get the plain yogurt and put it on your rice. And I'm just standing there with the plate and I'm going, come again? Like you care about that little, you care about the yogurt on my rice? And his response was, child, every little detail of your life. When he said that, I was taken. It felt 
ashamed that I was 48 at the time. And for 48 years, I ignored him. He's telling me he's in every little detail of my life. And I didn't acknowledge him, didn't even know anything about him. And I felt so ashamed that I missed out on him. But I did what he said. And this is actually, I love rice and plain yogurt. It's another way we eat our rice in Egypt. And I put the plain yogurt and I went on the couch and I sat there and I ate my whole plate of rice with the yogurt. And the Holy Spirit was just chatting with me at the time. And what I remember, but I just don't remember the joke. I remember he he made a joke. He had a great sense of humor. And I started giggling and Sam, looked at me and asked me, did I stop at a bar or did I stop for a drink? He didn't understand why am I sitting quietly and I'm giggling to myself. But I just ignored him because I didn't want to break the conversation with the sweet spirit. I wish I remembered that joke. I just, anyway. So right after that, it was time. I finished my dinner, got up, put my plate in the sink told Sam good night and I'm going to my bedroom, said good night to Colleen, brush my teeth. And as I'm doing all of this, I am in awe and confusion, not understanding why the Holy Spirit is speaking to me, what is going on, but I'm just following, but must, like just not quite getting it. And then I went into, I, I laid down and I covered myself and I'm lying there wondering what is going on. And he said, child, it's not you. It's not your brother. It is you. And Rod, no one is ready to hear that statement going to bed. Mm -hmm. I remember as soon as he said that, my heart dropped. And it was just so heavy on my chest. I started tearing up, thinking of my daughter, of Colleen, coming in the morning to wake me up and she's going to find a dead body. She's going to find her mom dead. That killed me. I just... I couldn't cope with that. It was just so hard to accept and, and for Andrew as well. And I couldn't get up to say, to hug her for another time. It's like when spirit of death is on you, you can't do anything. It's too late. It was like, it's me. And the Holy Spirit sensed the heaviness on my heart. And he reminded me of a dream I had several years prior, like maybe three years prior. And in that dream, I was walking, it was Colleen, Andrew, and myself walking along the meadows with Jesus. And he's walking with us and he had his arm around Colleen and Andrew and they had 
and me somehow, and we each had our arm around his waist and we're laughing and walking in that meadow. And I do remember in the morning when I woke up and I don't usually dream of Jesus like that. That was a dream I remember significantly. And that morning after the dream, I was confused on how did we all, the three of us walk and walk next to him somehow and not tremble on each other's feet. And he made it clear that night that I will be there with them, but I am in spirit, but he's got my children. And as soon as he reminded me of that and confirmed that he's got them, it lifted the heaviness off of my chest. It was like, it was okay. It was okay to surrender my children to him. And it was okay for me to die at this point, knowing that he'll take care of them. And I breathed again easily. And I told him, okay, what do I need to do? And he said, relax, child. You're going on a journey and you'll come back and be my ambassador. And as soon as he said that, it was like here a few minutes ago, I'm prepping myself, I'm dying. And then he says, it's a journey and I'm going to come back to be his ambassador. It was like, hallelujah, like this is great. Okay, now what do you want me to do? And he, again, he goes, I need you to relax. I said, okay, well, I'm relaxed. He goes, no, no, child. You need to hold, to be still, like to stop thinking. He actually used the word stop thinking. And it was weird to me because I'm an analytical person and my brain goes everywhere. And it was so hard to stop thinking, but I'm trying and I'm I'm trying to relax and I'm uptight, of course, not relaxing because now I'm trying to not think so hard. And I couldn't figure out, did I stop thinking? Did I not stop thinking? And he was such, he was so patient with me. I felt like he was just gonna give up on me or slap me around, but he was just so patient until I finally managed to relax and, and stop thinking. And when I got to that point, he said, okay, now I need you to shut your eyes. And no matter what happens, do not open your eyes, child. And I said, okay. He said, no, this is important. No matter what happens, do not open your eyes. And I said, okay. So I shut my eyes. And immediately I could see, even though my eyes were shut, whether I could see or feel this bright light that shone, like it was in my whole room, a light that was so powerful. I couldn't, I've never seen anything like it or feel anything like it. So bright, but it wasn't just a bright light. There was a presence. There was a presence what I felt was God the Father. It was like a humongous presence. It was just something that it's hard to describe in words. And of course, I kept my eyes shut because you were told to keep your eyes shut. And 
then the window next to me, there was a window, the wall was here with the window. The window started shaking and it was like rattling and it felt like there's an earthquake just in my bedroom. And then my heart started to palpitate and it palpitated slowly, like it started slowly and then it started to increase and it was going like I could feel it. It was like boom and, I, and that scared me. And as soon as I got scared, the whole process shut down. My heart stopped palpitating, the window stopped rattling, but immediately the light disappeared, like the light vanished. And the whole process shut down. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, shoot, I screwed up my death. And it was like, no child, this one, you can't screw up. And I'm just sitting there feeling awful. He goes, I just need you to relax, child. I need you to relax. You need to relax more. And again, here, this whole thing is happening. And he's so kind and sweet and just coaching me slowly. And he goes, I want you to stop thinking again. And I went back into that. It was like a meditation where you stop thinking. And it was, again, it was hard. But I got to that point and then he softly said, remember, do not open your eyes. You are to close your eyes, but remember, you are not to open your eyes. And I agreed. He said, do not open your eyes, child, remember. And I said, okay. And I did shut my eyes and then the light came again and the presence of the power of the Lord, it was back. And the window started shaking again and my heart started beating and the palpitation. And then it got harder and harder. And this time it became harder. I literally thought my heart is going to explode. Like I thought, okay, I'm having a heart attack and maybe that's how it happens. But I wasn't afraid and I didn't shut the process down. I just was okay with it. And I kept the process going and then it stopped. Everything stopped after a while. And he said, the next step child is an annoyance. And I'm going, okay. And he goes, it's an annoyance child. I need you to remember only an annoyance. He said, okay. And right away, I felt like, like pain just came over me, a woof of pain, but more in my legs. I remember my legs, the pain in my bones was just so much. It felt, I always related to somebody taking a sledgehammer and breaking your bones. It was that strong. And, but I'm feeling this. And he's comforting me and he's saying, child, it's an annoyance. Child, it will pass, child. It's only an annoyance. And as he's saying this, the pain is not as excruciating. I'm focusing on him and what he's saying in such a gentle tone and just comforting me. And I was able to concentrate on him and not on my legs 
and the pain that was really happening. And he kept saying, it will pass, it will pass, child, annoyance, child. And I hung in there and then the pain stopped. And it was such a relief when the pain stopped and I didn't feel anything anymore, but I didn't feel anything to the point where I literally couldn't feel from my head to my toes. I, I, I was like numb. I couldn't feel my body. And I'm lying there and I'm asking him, am I paralyzed? And he said, I'm sorry, child, you are. And I'm going, oh, no, can I move my legs? He goes, no. I said, can I move my toes? He goes, no, child. I go, can I try? And he goes, okay, child, try. And I'm trying and nothing, you know, when once you're paralyzed, you don't feel a thing. And at this point, I felt Sam coming into the bedroom and he's getting ready to come in and I'm thinking, okay, he's going to notice that I'm paralyzed and he's going to call 911 and rush me to the hospital. He comes in, he sleeps on his side of the bed. We had a two bedroom, Colleen was in the other bedroom. So even though we were separated, we had agreed that we each, we were civil to each other, of course, and each one of us sleeps on their side, but he went to bed, didn't notice me and gave me his back and slept. And I laid there paralyzed, but had no fear, had no anxiety, had, it was the most beautiful night in my life, spending that night with the Holy Spirit, the comforter. The whole night, he downloaded scripture in my mind and things that I didn't know. He answered all my questions that I had over the years without me saying a thing or asking a question. Like I wasn't, oh, what happens when, no, nothing. I'm sitting there and he's going answer by answer of every question I had. And he's explaining it in a sweet manner. And I'm talking about questions that I'm sure we all have, like, why is there so much tragedy? Why are children dying of hunger and poverty? Like the questions that we all have, and he answered them. And when he did answer them, they made sense. Somehow they made sense. But what is interesting is those answers are the only thing in my encounter, other than his joke, that I that he erased from my mind. Mm. I know and I remember he answered them. And I remember going, oh my, yeah, that makes sense. That, but they're gone. And it makes sense to me that he would erase these questions, these answers, because there's still mysteries we're not supposed to know. And 
he must have just, he appeased me for the night and was just telling me things. And then like the men from black, you tell them things and then you, you do something and it's all gone. Because I don't think he wanted me to share those answers. These are answers we're all going to find out about them when we die. But Rod, he was the most beautiful like teacher. The he, the way he was explaining things, he wasn't going too slow. He wasn't going too fast. He was just, he made everything perfect. He showed me visions. All night I spent seeing visions of things. Just an amazing night. And it didn't matter that I was paralyzed. That was gone. Like here I am, I'm paralyzed, not knowing what's going to happen. Didn't care. He was powering everything. His presence was just amazing. And then I remember I needed to go to the restroom and like I tried to get up and that's when I remembered and realized that I am paralyzed. So I'm sitting there. I know I need to go and I'm going, I need to go to the restroom. And he goes, go child. And I'm going, go. And he goes, yes, child. It's like, mm -hmm. okay. So I just went and there was just so much water coming out of my body. I felt like Sam was going to, he's going to wake up feeling a flood coming towards him. But no, nothing happened. He continued sleeping. And then towards, it was like, break of dawn around six-ish, I could feel Sam getting up. He went to the restroom and I thought, okay, he's going to notice me and he's going to call 911. He came back and went to bed and I stayed there again with the comforter, did not leave me for one second, about another hour or two. And that's when Sam got up. And I heard him, now I had my back to Sam and he was pushing my back and he's going, Anna, are you up? And of course I couldn't respond. So I'm thinking, okay, he's gonna notice. So he turned me towards him and he came over me looking at me and he opened my, one of my eyelids and I could see him at that point. And then he opened the other eyelid and let it go. And I could see him staring at me. And then he grabbed one of my arms and he let it go and my arm fell. He grabbed the other arm and let it go and it fell. And I'm going, okay, now it's proof that I'm not responding. Something is going on. And then he got up and came on my side of the bed and started taking off my jewelry. And I'm thinking, why is he taking off my jewelry? I'm going, okay, maybe he doesn't want them to get lost in the hospital. And then he takes a pill and he puts it in my mouth. Now, because I'm paralyzed, my teeth are locked like this. So he can't put it inside my mouth. So he's grinding it in my teeth, grinding it until it got dissolved. And I could tell it was Xanax. And I'm thinking, why is he giving me Xanax eight o'clock in the morning? 
and he's doing all this. And then he took a mint and he put it in my mouth. And again, but he just left it between my mouth and my teeth because he couldn't put it through my teeth. And I'm thinking, boy, I must have horrible breath that he's taking time to put mint in my mouth before he calls 911. And then he touched my body and my clothes and he goes, oh, you wet yourself. Here, let's get you out of these. And I'm going, okay, that's nice. He's going to change me before he calls 911. So it's not embarrassing that I peed myself and put me in warm clothes. And he starts taking my clothes off and I'm naked now. And he's on top of me and he starts raping me. And at that point, I'm just puzzled. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't understand why is he raping a paralyzed woman? Why isn't he rushing me for, to 911? What is happening? It just didn't make sense. And then he got up and went to take a shower. I could hear him in the shower and he left me in the middle of the bed. And he finished his shower and came back and he, and I could hear him running water for me, but I could feel, I could hear it was like, wasn't like a shower. It was like, he's filling a tub for me and he's coming around and he's pulling me off the bed to take me in there. And as he's pulling me, as soon as I got to the edge of the bed, he couldn't carry me and he dropped me on the floor. And he goes, oh, no, I can't carry you. And I'm going, okay, well, I'm thanking God that I'm chubby now, that he's not able to carry me because I'm not sure what's going on. And he drops me there and I land like on my side, crumbled together naked. And he leaves me there. And I'm in, I don't want to say awe, oh, I'm in shock, just confused. But the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, again, did not leave me. He's there, but I'm puzzled. How, that's a better word, puzzled of what's going on. And then Colleen, you can, we heard Colleen's uh, TV got turned on. She was next to us. So he dropped, he left me and went to tend to her. And she told me later that he told her mom does not want to be disturbed. She's crying over Steve, Stephen in Egypt. And she took a few Xanaxes and she doesn't want to be disturbed. So Colleen respected that and didn't come and check on me. And he comes back in the room, but then he's got a jug of ice water that he starts pouring over my body. And at this point, I go into shock because my body is warm. I don't know when you're paralyzed and then this ice water comes on you. And I felt like there's needles all over my body. And it was definitely not, it, it was like, I don't want to, torturing me like, and he was doing it slowly and it wasn't ending. 
and the comforter is saying, it will pass, child, it will pass. It's an annoyance. And I'm concentrating on the comforter so that I don't concentrate on the pain of the needles all over my body. And then I see a vision of Christ Jesus's hand next to me on the floor. And I just see the hand and I see the hand as they're piercing the nail in his hand. So I see the hammer and the nail and the blood. And when I see that, I'm, I'm embarrassed of my own discomfort at this point because it was nothing compared to Jesus's pain. And when I saw that, it was like, I can handle whatever. That's nothing compared to what he wants to So it helped me endure that. And then it stopped and I could breathe again. And he went out and he came back and he started doing the same thing again. He started the ice water on me and it put me in shock again. And the sweet comforter is just telling me it's an annoyance child. And I see the vision of Christ's hand again, and I'm just heartbroken over him that that my pain is nothing. And the comforter is saying it's an annoyance and he's pouring the ice and my heart is heavy for Jesus. And then it stopped and he left the room and I was relieved to not have any pain or discomfort. And then he came back. But this time, he went over my body and he bent down and he grabbed my nose and he held my nose shut for a while. And because I'm paralyzed, I can't breathe from my teeth. I can't breathe from my mouth. My mouth is shut and he's got my nose shut. So I'm not breathing and he's holding it. And suddenly I go and I open my mouth and it's like a reflex. And as soon as my mouth opened up, he let go. He let go and left the room. And this is when I remembered my million dollar life insurance that I had forgotten to cancel after we filed the divorce. And he was still the beneficiary of half a million. The kids got half and he got the other half. And it made sense to me what was going on and why he's not calling 911. And then he came back and he did the same thing again. He bent down, he held my nose and tried to hold it as long as he could. And I'm suffocating, but thankfully a reflex happened. I go again and he gets startled again and he leaves. And I'm lying there and the comforter is still with me. And I'm not stressed. I'm not anxious. I'm at peace. I'm at peace. It didn't matter what was happening to my body. It didn't matter who was doing what to me. The focus mainly was 
on the comforter and his beauty and his sweetness. It's just, just a beautiful encounter when we're dying. The spirit of death, he, I call him the spirit of light when he's there and comforting us, no matter what kind of death we're dying from. He just, it takes over. It's, it doesn't matter what's happening to this body. And then he came back and he did the same thing again. He bent down and grabbed my nose. But this time he gently put his three fingers over my mouth. So it was like that. And he covered my mouth. And when he did this, Rod, there was no reflex at this point. There was no air. There was no way that I knew it was it. I couldn't breathe. My lungs were collapsing and I knew that was it. And again, at this point, I wanted to go. It didn't matter. It wasn't like I wanted to stay. And I saw Jesus standing, but I could only see up to his knee in his robe. And he had his hand reaching me like, and I knew at this point that he can remove the hand, like he can remove Sam's hand from my mouth and stop the process. But I didn't want him to do that. I didn't want him to go without me. And I'm now calling to him. I was actually singing to him in my mind and telling him, I don't want to let go. Don't, don't go. Like I didn't want him to go without me. And I was ready to just die. And I was so afraid he would leave or have this guy remove his hand, but he didn't. And I kept on going. And I remember looking back and it felt like as if you take off a coat, a heavy coat. When you're moving to the other side, there isn't a division, like there isn't an end and then there's a beginning. There isn't a feeling of, oh, I'm dead now. No, you just keep on going. You don't realize that you're dead. You're like, look, and then when you look back and your body's back there, that's when you realize, oh, okay. But your spirit, your soul just keeps on going. And it's a very liberating feeling and beauty. And I remember the first thing I saw was white clouds that covered the sky and they were just the most beautiful white clouds ever. And then they opened up and revealed the sky, but they revealed animals flying around the sky. And these were animals I've never seen before. They were big animals flying. And they were animals with multicolors, colors you don't see on. They're, they were just so bright and beautiful colors and they're flying. And I always compare them to the colors on the animals in the movie Avatar that came out later that year. I remember being at the theater and seeing these animals fly and right away I said, somebody had a near death who 
had something to do with this movie, directed it or something, because these colors and the way these animals were flying was just what I had seen. And then I found myself at an open meadow, just standing there, and it was like beautiful greenery, just I couldn't see the end of it. And from where I was standing, I saw they were rushing and preparing like a wedding. I could see a bride standing, but her back was to me. And they're preparing a wedding. Excuse me. And I'm going, who is that? And I'm now I'm thinking to myself, is this my wedding? Because in the Bible, Christians, like we're told that when we die, we are the brides of Jesus. So I'm thinking, oh, that's my wedding. But I want to go see it. I want to go and see her face. And I'm trying to go there. And somehow I couldn't get in front of the bride. So I couldn't see who it was. And I continued. And I came to some kind of like a hallway. I went inside, there was a hallway and it was a long hallway and I started walking in it and there's like beautiful beams or something like just, I don't know what they were made out of and I'm walking and then I see this majestic chair sitting there and it had a lady in it, but she had a veil over not just her head, it was a veil from her covering her and the chair. So you couldn't, I couldn't see who it was, but I wanted to see who she was. And I'm looking and I'm walking, but I'm trying to look to figure out who is that. And I couldn't figure it out. And I kept on walking, but there was somebody there that I managed to ask. And I said, who is she? And his response was, she's the blessed of all. And I just said, uh-huh. And I kept on walking. Like, I didn't go back to try to say, I just kept on walking. And I came upon another doorway and like an opening of a door or something. Because I saw this spirit of light. It was a body of light at the entrance of this door. And immediately I recognized it was my mom. And there was no facial expressions. All it was, she was a body of light, but immediately I recognized, we recognized each other. We knew who we are. And I, I don't remember hugging her or anything. I guess we don't hug up there, but it was just, an overwhelming joy to see her. And she took me in and we kept on walking. She led me inside an open area. And then in that open area, I saw my sister Nadia come towards me. And again, and she was a body of light. And as soon as I saw Nadia, that was like joy on a different level because Nadia had committed suicide when she was 35 years old. And she had fallen into a deep depression and wanted to go and meet Jesus. 
and dad, because dad had died of a car accident several years before that, and Nadia was very close to my dad. But in our church, and most churches, they say that suicide is an act of murder, and you don't go to heaven. So I always wondered where she was. I knew she wanted to go meet Christ, but I didn't really know. And seeing her in heaven was the highlight that was on the other side. And here I am with Nadia, and she ended up taking me and walking me into a room, and we left mom behind. And in that room, she's talking to me, and I'm standing there with her. And all I could think about is I start complaining to her that I just have so much joy that I can't contain it. I am so overwhelmed now of joy, and I'm complaining about the overwhelming joy, and I don't know what to do with it. Like, how stupid is that? We complain about stress, but now it's too much joy. And I'm going, I can't take it. I don't know what to do with it. It was so overwhelming, Rod. It's, you just don't know what to do with it. It, it just kept, it's hard to explain that overwhelming joy to the point that you're just, it's hard to explain. And she looked at me and smiled and she said, Anna, with Jesus, it keeps on getting better. And I said, I couldn't comprehend how could it get better? Like, I'm already at the maximum. I can't imagine it getting better. And we both walked out. And as we walked out next to mom was my father. And... He was standing there, and again, he was a spirit. He was a body of light. And seeing him was a different level of joy. And I'm standing there with my dad, mom, and Nadia. And just, I don't know how we're communicating, but we're communicating. And Nadia says, hurry up, you guys. We have a banquet with Jesus. And I'm going... We're having a banquet. Like she said it in such a simple, as a matter of fact, kind of thing. Like it's not a big deal. We're just going to a banquet. And to me, it was like, we're having a banquet with Jesus? Like just like that? Are you kidding me? And they said, yeah, let's go. And they started going. And for some reason, I didn't follow them. And I found myself going to another room. And in that room, at the end of the room, there was somebody standing there. And that person was not a body of light. I recognized him. And he was the late Pope Corollos, who was like a late Coptic Orthodox Pope, who was very sweet and kind and humbling, and everybody loved him. And he was standing there, and I'm looking at him and he goes, child, where have you been? And I'm going like, and I'm, I'm looking around. Is he talking to me like he was like calling me like, where have you been? And I'm going, I've been going to 
Calvary <laughs> Church. And because when I married the Muslim, I couldn't, we couldn't go to the Coptic church. So we went to Calvary. And he goes, why child, why? And I said, well, I did not see acceptance in the Coptic church. And, and I'm struggling with words here. And he goes, and I said, I, acceptance and kindness. And he looks at me, he goes, child, what is your name? And he was saying it in a rhetorical way. And I responded with my Egyptian name, which is not, and Anna Christina is my pen name. And I said my Egyptian name. And he goes, what does it mean, child? And I look at him and I say, my name meant tenderness and kindness. And he goes, child, you're looking outside for this, but we, but you are what we need. Hurry up, child. Hurry up, child. There's no time. There is no time. And he started kicking me out. And he just kicked me out. And as I'm moving out, I go back on the hallway and I see the majestic chair again, but this time it's empty and the veil is on it. So I asked somebody, where did she go? And they say, she went on an errand. And I keep on walking fast, like they're rushing me out. And as I'm rushing out, a face reveals himself to me. And this time it was the face of Jesus, but he was revealing it slowly like it was here's his face but it was like being revealed like that okay. and i remember it took a long time for him to reveal his nose he had a long nose and in my mind i'm going you're jewish aren't you and i'm stereotyping here and he's just smiling and i saw his whole face now i was in awe seeing his face but at the same time it wasn't the face I grew up with thinking was Jesus's face. I grew up thinking Jesus looked like Jesus of Nazareth, the green or blue eyes, that pretty boy. And he wasn't a pretty boy. He had more of a rugged face, like the olive skin, a more Middle Eastern figure. And I'm thinking to myself, it was embarrassing because I'm thinking to myself, he's not as pretty as I thought, or he's not as handsome as I thought. And I'm trying to stop the thinking because I know he could read my thing and I didn't want to hurt his feelings. So I'm just trying to stop it. And like, that was not cool. But then I saw myself on top of the freeway out of nowhere. I'm out of there, I'm on the other side now, and I'm looking down on the freeway, and I was where the five freeway, we have a five freeway and a 405 freeway, they come together and they're called the Y. And I'm watching this, and I'm seeing the earth as so dry compared to where I was. And then I see my bedroom, and Sam is lying there, He's on the bed and he finally got my body next to him. And he has me next to him and he's holding me. 
and whether he's crying or what, like as if he's sad now that he killed me, he's sad and he's holding me. And as soon as I went back in my body, I jumped from his arms because I couldn't stand him touching me. So right away, I jumped and I stood in front of him at the end of the bed. And I'm standing there, I was still naked, but I'm standing there looking at him. And the look on his face, Rod, like I still feel, I wish I had cameras in that room because it was priceless to see his face and see me at this point. But it was great coming back. And that's it. I was on the other side. They kicked me out. <laughs> it wasn't my time. That is an unbelievable, <clears throat> excuse me, that is an unbelievable story. Firstly, I just want to say your bravery in telling that story, the whole thing, you could easily leave parts out, but I just acknowledge your bravery in doing that. And I think that other people who have had similar experiences will gain a lot of comfort from knowing, well, I'm not the only one that this has happened to, but it's the fact that you're still a functioning human being after going through all that, I just, if I had a hat, I would take it off to you. It's unbelievable. Okay, listen, we are actually running out of time. <clears throat> we talked about this at the beginning. I have so many other questions, but I think what may be better is that we'll have you back on, on the live stream and then that will be an opportunity to, for other people to ask questions as well. And I have several more that I wanted to ask you. What it, The first one is some people are going to want to reach out and ask questions to you. And is that something that you're open to? Do you have the facility for it or, or how, how would you like to handle that? Yeah, they can ask me questions. Well, they can go to my website, anachristina.net, and there's a way to contact me. Sometimes you can chat with me. I don't want to say buying the book because I know you're in Netherlands and it's not easy maybe to get the book. Hopefully there's electronic books that they're so cheap, like maybe $2.99, something like that. Mm. I think it's on Amazon. Get... I'll put a link in the show notes. I'm pretty sure I've seen yeah, it on Amazon. It's yep. through Amazon and they can access it and get the whole story. But yep. if they can't do that, they can contact me and I'll answer questions. Okay, great. And before we wrap up today's conversation, do you have any last message for people? Yes, I do. It's the message of the comforter. Do not wait to you, until you are on your deathbed to discover him like I discovered him. It'll be too late. We have a sweet spirit living with us and counseling us and he doesn't come and go. He's like, like he told me in every little detail of our life. But what we have to do is acknowledge him. So a lot of people send me and say, well, how do we connect with him? Just start by acknowledging him. And once you start acknowledging him, the relationship starts. So that's what I would like everybody to hope. Like, I want to say it as loud as possible about the friend that we have. He's like Casper, the friendly ghost. I don't know if you guys are aware of that, but he's there and no one can see him. It doesn't mean he's not there. So take advantage of him. He's so sweet and he is the true soulmate. He's been my best friend. He's been my buddy. He knows everything about me and he will know everything. He knows everything about you. So utilize him. 
he's just sweet. Well, Anna, thank you for that message. I'm looking forward to continuing this conversation. And thank you for being a guest and allowing me to interview you today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Rod, for having me. Take care. 